This entire season of Retronauts is fully funded by listeners like you thanks to Patreon. If you'd like to find out how you can help and get episodes a week in advance, head on over to patreon.com slash retronauts. Thanks and enjoy the show. This week on Retronauts, we take a bite out of Fonzie. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Retronauts. I'm your host, Bob Mackey, for this one. And let's go around the table really quick before I tell you about the topic. See who else is here. So who's to my right? This is Michael Rapara's of Video Game Apocalypse. It's a podcast. Awesome. It's, it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good podcast. I love it. Cat. Uh, Cat Bailey, awesome. senior editor at US Gamer. It's a website. It certainly is. <laughs> who else is here? That I work for. Jeremy Parrish, Fonzie tastes like brill cream. It's gross. Ew. Well, yeah, we're not actually going to take a bite out of Fonzie. Today's topic, oh, now you tell me. Yeah, well, I mean, that was just a metaphor. So today's topic <laughs> is uh, only for you. Listen, Henry fine. Winkler is a, is a national treasure. I will yeah. not have you have yes. any of this. His, uh, his work on Children's Hospital is wonderful. Yeah, and the rest of development as yeah, Barry Peppercorn. Say, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Zuckercorn. Oh, Zuckercorn. Peppercorn pepper sounds is, delicious. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would take a bite out of... Uh, out of Fonzie if he were a peppercorn. Well, I I've, love that I keep showing up at the end of these recording sessions because you two are so punchy. My God. Yeah, we're just... Uh, we're, we're no, that's just me now that I'm on cocaine. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's a U.S. gamer salary. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you what we're it's talking Obamacare. about today. Uh, it is Obamacare. Free cocaine for everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Death panels. So the reason I have Michael on this is because I think Video Game Apocalypse is, is sort of like, there's like a mini Retronauts in almost every episode because you guys do top five lists. Yes. And you know a lot about gaming history, I well, think. Um, I mean, they call you Wikiparas because yes. you have like a bottomless capacity for knowledge about video <laughs> games. Is that correct? I like to think so, okay. yes. Okay, yeah. And I mean, that's why you're here today because today, like, we've been recording a long time. We fly Jeremy out here because um, we want to make the most use of our time, you know, when we can to record these episodes. And this is... We never a... get we never get punchy when I'm just on Skype. No, no. no but now we're really punchy. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, I wanted the last episode of this session to be more of a freeform thing. I think I am always too dependent on notes. Uh, and I want to kind of, you know, challenge myself in a way. But I also am tired and I can only write so many notes for a single weekend of recording. So today's uh, episode is going to be about... Um, when when games or series jump the shark. And I, oh, actually, I also wanted to say, like, um, Michael is here because if you search for him on the Internet, the first thing that comes up is a picture of him wearing a Legacy of the Wizard T-shirt. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, Michael. Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't aware of that. That yeah, is number one. That's awesome that you have a Legacy <laughs> of the Wizard off the T-shirt. Camera. Yeah, well, somebody, there's a story behind that. It was a fan that... It's that uh, you love Legacy of the Wizard because you have good taste. Oh, I wish that were it. Uh, <laughs> no, it was just a fan uh, took the sprite because he thought it looked kind of like me and started doing these web comics called The Adventures oh, of Tiny Michael. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. the father, okay. And so, uh, yeah, for, for my birthday, my wife made me a T-shirt. I, I assume the father and not like the dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was looking up how to spell your last name because I always forget. Mm-hmm. And the, the first thing that popped up is you in that t-shirt. I'm like, oh, it's perfect. Like, Michael <laughs> Michael needs to be here more often because oh, I don't own a Legacy of the Wizard t-shirt. I should... I, somebody finally gave me a copy of that game. I really should go back and play it. <laughs> You're Please. not going to beat it. Yeah, Just look, look, look up a fact. That's how, how, do, how do you spell your name, Mike? It's R-E-P-A-R-A-Z. R-E-P-A-R-A-Z. Right now, Jeremy's the, looking... The first name is I want to see the shirt. It's M-I-K-E-L. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. 
So if you're at home, look that up. I used to know the father's name, but I don't. <laughs> so I, w- I do want to say today's topic is about when games or series jump the shark. And this comes to us from a contest winner from last season who uh, their prize was to choose the topic of an episode. So uh, this is what Scott Schrader says. He says, uh, jumping the shark. Uh, longtime Simpsons fans know that the debate on which was the last good season is an argument that will, one, never end, and two, always provide an entertaining trip through your favorite episodes and lines. I think we were actually talking about this last night uh, at dinner. I thought Simpsons. it was pretty obvious. Yeah. I got this idea listening to the recent Castlevania podcast where I got the impression that you fellas like the old Castlevanias and don't like the new ones. Or so somewhere in the middle there, the series must have jumped the shark. Maybe pick some longstanding series and have a lively debate. Well, that's what we're doing today, Scott. Um, and like I said, I did want to have a more, a more freeform discussion. So is there any like particular games? Um, I mean, I have a, a bunch of series listed, but I want to know if there's any standout shark jumping moments for you. And here's how I want to define this. I mean, like... If a game sh- jumps the shark, it's like it could can be boiled down to like a thing in a game or just a game's general attitude or spirit that is so just weird, disruptive, strange, insulting, or offensive that makes it ruin the series for you. But the series can recover. So if, if games can jump the shark, in this case, they can recover. And plenty of series have jumped the shark and then, you know, years later have come back better than ever. So jumping the shark as opposed to a slow, de- depressing decline like Valkyrie Profile. Exactly, yes. Got it. Uh, so can anyone think... Only three, that series is only three games long. It's not, that's yeah, not a sad Yeah, but it was decline. still a sad and decline anyway. Hmm. So, so does anyone have anything specifically in mind? Like, Well, uh, I want to say that... Thinking about this, I feel like a lot of series, quote, jump the, jump the shark because they fail to properly transition into a new generation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the standout example of that is Sonic, which definitely jumped the shark once it transitioned to 3D. And it wasn't immediately obvious that it yeah. truly jumped the shark. And people were like, yeah, big the cat. Yeah, That's what awesome. I'm all about. Yeah. Like everybody remembered those, that the, the killer whale, but they forgot that Sonic Adventure actually wasn't that great a game. Actually, Michael, this could date the podcast, but Michael just reviewed Sonic Boom, and I was I was saying to him out in the lobby, like this could be the most broken game since Sonic Adventure. Like it could be, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it is it is really buggy. I was fortunate that I didn't run into a lot of the bugs, and I actually tried the knuckles jumping bug that everybody's talking about, and it didn't work for me. the The moment that Sonic actually jumped the shark was when Shadow the Hedgehog got his own game. And he had a gun or whatever, uh, and he was dating a human woman. Or was that? No, that was Sonic. You're, Sonic you're conflating two, two bad things that happened around Shadow the same Shadow the Hedgehog time. was definitely the, the shark jumping moment for that series. Sonic 2006 did not redeem anything. I no. actually, I think it for did me, the opposite of redeeming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me personally, I actually so feel like uh, Sonic jumped the shark with Sonic 3. I know people love that game, but like, I just really hate playing it. I love Sonic and Sonic 2. I think they're really, really great games. And Sonic 3 to me is just the opposite of fun. It just has all these unnecessary mechanics that complicate things. And I, like, I, don't, I don't know. It, it really, like when I've played the game, it's really offended me. I might have to stick with it. But adventure. I realize I'm kind of the... Uh, I don't know if it jumped the shark with 3, but I never liked 3 either. Mm. Just because, first of all, I hated the soundtrack. It's not very good. I will disagree Why don't you like you Michael Jackson? Vehemently. Well, okay, but it is Michael not Jackson, nearly as... a national treasure on the level of Henry Winkler, put that music together. It's not nearly <laughs> as catchy as Sonic 2. I'm sorry. Okay. And the second... I can... I just hate playing through the second world. I, I don't remember what it was called, but... 
Yeah, there's a lot of water, if I recall correctly. Hmm. Don't Sonic like and water. Hydrocity, hydrocity zone, I think it was. Something like that. Hydrocephalus. I finished Sonic 1 and 2, could never get around to finish 3, just did not like it. To me, like, I mean, Sonic Sonic jumping the shark is like a biannual event, kind of. <laughs> like, every year there's a bigger shark yeah. and a bigger jump. Um, like, there's so many different species of Sonic. There's Great White, there's Tiger, like, Hammerhead. You yeah. know, every year Sonic finds a different species you know, of Sonic. We're going to run out of sharks someday. Sonic Rush on the DS was actually pretty good, though. Yeah, and then I Sonic mean, Rush they, Adventure wasn't. It had its moments. It had its moments. I think the biggest uh, Sonic shark jumping moment was Sonic Adventure because yeah. as soon as we were That's done... It's almost an orca jumping moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Orca's jumping you. Wow, it's like a reverse Whoa. shark jumping. Yeah. Weird. But I think that, like... As soon as we were done being impressed by how good it looked at the time, like, because that game looked better than anything had ever looked before, period. I mean, before we saw PS2 games, you know, that was oh, like... Oh, Soul Calibur, man. Um, Soul Calibur didn't come out till the following year, did it? No, Soul Calibur was a launch game for Dreamcast. Okay, yeah. weird. Okay. okay, well, I mean, it was a Dreamcast game, and we were still bowled over by that. But by the time that wore Both off... Both looked we were... amazing. Yeah, they did look good. Okay, but fair enough. Sonic, I, I will admit it will never work in 3D, but that game was like, we are going to do as many different things as possible. So, like, every character had a different kind of game type associated with them. You had um, you had a race with Tails. You had Amy, who, like, was just, like, a weird, like, melee attack-based stages kind of thing. And there were, like, racing stages where you were racing in a car, and there was fishing stages, and there was, like, a pinball. Like, it was all over the place. They did not bear down on what made Sonic, like, So, you got to play is. as that robot... Oh, uh, that was Sonic Adventure 2, I think. Was it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I recently put together a Sega Saturn retrospective, which isn't quite the same thing. We're talking about Dreamcast. But but um, I think it was Brandon Sheffield from formerly of Gamasutra, now with Necrosofty, made the point that Sega games have always been about just throwing in lots of neat little details, just little superfluous things that you don't necessarily have to see or appreciate, but they're there because Sega loves you and wants you to have the richest game experience possible. I feel the mistake that Sonic Adventure made was to throw in all these details and extras and things and then make them compulsory. Like, you couldn't avoid fishing with Big the Cat. You had to do that. Yeah, Like, if did. that had been, you know, a little side adventure that you could do, kind of like the Chao, Chao, whatever, Kao. How are you pronouncing this? Chao, okay. Raising, raising them, like, that was superfluous. That was extra. That was just a fun little thing you could do. But, you know, all these other characters, their, their side quests, like, that was forced on you and distracted from... The part that people really wanted, which was to gotta run fast with Sonic. Right, and then there was like an open world you had to suffer through to like the hub stages to find like keys to actually unlock the stages you didn't want right. to play in the first place. Yeah, I mean, so so I think the, the problem was that they, Sega looked at too much at what everyone else was doing with the 3D platformer at that point and saying, oh, it has to be this bloated, stretched out experience. Um, and it really took away from the, the the meaty essence of Sonic. And there is a good game there, and then it's just, you know, like there's a layer cake of crap on top. Yeah, it's like a like a shit casserole you're working I mean, with. We look back on Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 kind of unkindly, but my recollection was that the tide really turned against the series with Sonic Heroes. <clears throat> and that was the first time I remember everybody complaining about all the friends. Mm-hmm. I, the, I remember they, that as being like people were praising it as a step in the right direction. Like this isn't great, but at least it's better than Sonic Adventure 1 and 2. I don't remember that. I remember people saying like... Why do I have to play as Sonic's stupid friends? I don't want to do that. Mm. I don't think we heard a definitive uh, opinion from Michael on this. Do you have, like, any strong Sonic uh, feelings at all about it? I'm not sure how... Not particularly. I mean, I was a Nintendo kid for uh, most of my childhood and adolescence. Uh, What did did your friend who traded his uh, Sega Genesis for us, or his Super Nintendo for a Sega Genesis and CD think of it all? 
I don't know. I kind of lost touch with him after high school. <laughs> but I was I was in college when uh, the Dreamcast <laughs> came out. And I think Sonic Adventure might have been the first Sonic game I actually bought. So I wasn't I wasn't coming at it from a situation of any sort of nostalgia or an idea of what a Sonic game should be. So I actually enjoyed it when it was out. I think I'm probably the only person working in the industry who did. And mm. I, I feel sort of ashamed to admit it. But <laughs> That you enjoyed Sonic Adventure? Yeah. I mean, oh, a lot of people did. Right. A lot of people yeah. did. I did at the time, yeah. Like going back. I, I remember like going to a game store uh, in, in – I went to college in Olympia and there was this little place called Game Bros. And they had this gigantic TV that took up an entire wall and they would just play the intro demo from Sonic the Hedgehog uh, or Sonic Adventure over and over again. And just like the uh, the giant water monster and like the Alice in Chainsy music. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, this is going to be so cool. It's 1999. <laughs> There's still time for clacks. Yeah, get your tribal <laughs> tattoo immediately. Thank you for understanding that reference. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is the only place where that will happen. The only room. I know. Yeah. I know. Congratulations, you found your you found home. I'm so happy. So yeah, I mean Sonic the Hedgehog. I think like every four games there will be a good game. Um, I like Sonic Generations, but then there's been two or three bad games since then. I'm pretty sure. Was Sonic was Sonic Colors any good? I heard that was good too. What yeah. I what I played of uh, the game at E3 last year, which was like the one level that apparently totally ripped off Super Mario 3D Land. That was great. It was yeah. a total Mario ripoff. Sonic World on the was it the DS? Really good. Sonic World or Sonic uh, Colors? Oh, Colors. Sonic yeah. Colors yeah. on the yeah. DS was great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they get it right occasionally. I guess we can move on from Sonic. Is there anything like any like notable like infamous shark jumping moments you can think of? Like I can think in, of a in few in Sonic. I'm just I, I was going to say you know uh, for Sonic really the jumping the shark moment was when they changed the soundtrack to Sega or Sonic CD. How dare they? Yeah. How <laughs> dare they? Well, I mean, the obvious shark ju- jumping moment was when Shadow the Hedgehog showed up with his gun and everything. Yeah. And it was darker and edgier, and everybody was like, oh, my God. That could have been definitive. I, I don't know if they've written him out of the series, but I, I don't recall seeing him since He's that game. in Smash Brothers as an assist trophy. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> He's still around. Does yeah. Pitt make fun of him? No. Uh, he bad. should. He should, though, yeah. yeah. I, I still regret, like, I went to E3 the year that they were showing off Shadow the Hedgehog, and, like, they had a huge statue of him at the Sega booth. He was, like, pointing a gun, like, at a 45-degree angle at the <laughs> ground. And I still re- re- uh, re- regret that I didn't get a photo of myself, like, kneeling in front of it with <laughs> head bowed like he's going to execute me. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he did to our spirits, anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, can we can we just move away from Sonic uh, and just think of anything else notable? I'm just yeah. for me, Mega Man hmm. kind of jumped the shark after three because three had that big ending where like you you've been introduced to Proto Man and uh, you, you defeat Doctor Wily and suddenly the fortress starts crumbling. Doctor Wily is crushed under rubble. And Mega Man is too, but he's rescued because he's a robot. And so I'm like, oh, okay, this whole Dr. Wily story arc is over. Uh, I was actually kind of invested in that. And then like four comes out and they introduce Dr. Cossack. And spoiler <laughs> alert, uh, he's really just being manipulated by Dr. Wily who's back. I'm like, okay, now it's a Saturday morning cartoon. I don't Dr. Really Dr. Wily was shown to survive at the end of Mega Man 3. Was he? In the ending, if you look in the very final screen, there's Wily's capsule, a tiny like – it's like four oh. pixels, oh, but it's okay. floating. So it's they gave away. themselves an out. It's like the Genesis torpedo. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Weren't you saying, Jeremy, though, that you, you feel like Mega Man was designed to be a trilogy? Or like at least um, that's what it feels like in terms yeah, of I mean, the story like, it, they're trying yeah, to Yeah, yeah. It definitely works as a trilogy. And, and I agree that 
the series kind of lost its direction. Yeah. But I mean, then, you know, me, Mega from, Man X was great. Yeah, until Mega Man X, like, and then four, Mega Man Legends six, was great. So, it, like, just sort of downhill. It's a roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, four was actually my first Mega Man, and I really enjoyed it at the time. So, it, it, was, it was a fine game. Yeah. It just yeah. re- wasn't as good as the previous three. No. Yeah. So, I mean, you, I mean, could, it was argue, really, you could argue that introducing the Mega Buster yeah, was, was a short say, jumping the real, moment. The real problem mm. with four was the Mega Buster. Yeah. Like, the charge shot just broke. The concept yeah. of the series. It made it so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. That's why they got rid of I mean, it's not a Mega Man 9 and 10, right? There's no charge buster in those right. games. Yeah. But that's what happens mm-hmm. when you have feature creep. Like, they're like, oh, we need something Gotta to sell the game. Uh, well, mm-hmm. You can slide and shoot a Mega Buster, I, I guess. I feel like Mega Man's Mega Buster is like, now that you, is the, like, jumping in Call of Duty. It's like, we had to add something, now you can <laughs> jump. Well, slide was in three, and it was fine. Right. Like, uh, yeah, it, the slide it, was it was an interesting mechanic. Yeah. It, it, it was, mm, you know, thoughtfully introduced to the level design. So it fit. But, yeah, the, the Mega Buster just made the, the whole concept of collecting enemy weapons completely moot. It also uh, overrode some of the music because of the limitations in uh, NES sound channels. Hmm. So it made the game better or worse in every possible way. Yeah. Well, one series I wanted to talk about is uh, Tomb Raider. I can't think of a series that's been rebooted more often, maybe like Alone in the Dark or Prince of Persia. And for me, I think Tomb Raider Jump the Shark originally, initially, it would jump. It's like a Sonic kind of thing where there, there are multiple shark jumps. But, like, I think to, Tomb Raider 3 was the moment we, we, we realized annualization was terrible for games. I feel like that was the moment the press zeroed in on that. Like, I remember there was a review of Tomb Raider 3. It could have been game players. I forget what it was. But what they did was they took their review for Tomb Raider 2 and they just mm. crossed out the irrelevant parts and, like, wrote in new <laughs> things. And that was such a smart-ass way to let, like, the mm-hmm. publisher know, like, we will not accept this. And I, I feel like by Tomb Raider 2, they had used all of their ideas that they wanted in that for that system for that, what they could do with the PlayStation. The yeah. problem with Tomb Raider was that, my apologies, Jeremy, but the problem with Tomb Raider was that they kept using the same same engine for years and years and years, never changed, going all the way into like the PS2, if I recall it correctly. Was, it was a weirdly stingy approach to game design. Like core design was just a small team. And they didn't really staff up, even though those games were selling millions and millions of copies. They were raking in so much money. But IDOS or Core, whoever was in charge of calling the shots there, refused to say, you know, let's let's um, rethink this whole thing and, and give it the necessary upgrade. Let's bring in a bigger staff. And when they finally did that on PS2, it was just a mess. Yeah, Tomb, Tomb Raider 3, like I played the first two and really liked them. Um, but Tomb Raider 3, I, I couldn't get into. Like, it yeah. just, it really didn't do anything for me. But honestly, for me, the series kind of started to lose its sense of direction. In the second game, when you start fighting so many human enemies. That's true, yeah. Like, it, 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 occur, it was like, terrible. Yeah. Like, the, the series, the engine just was not designed for that. And um, I remember in the, the inverted sunken ship getting up on top of some crates. And there was a dude with, like, a wrench walking down below me, but he couldn't climb up and he didn't have a ranged weapon. So I was just standing there <laughs> shooting him while he walked in circles. And I thought, you know, this this is not good. I, I hope they I hope they make this better next time. And they I, didn't. I think they made four games with that engine. Yeah, Five, like, they made Chronicles. Chronicles. Oh, Chronicles. Which so. made Revelations and Chronicles. Hmm. Oh, wait, which one, which one was the... the Revelations was one. four, where she seemingly died at the end. Right, yeah. Chronicles was five, where it was like telling the story of Laura's life. Uh-huh. And then at the end, it's like, wow, I thought they were still only alive. Four. Nope. Was it yeah. Underworld that came out in 2008? Was that the name of it? Yeah. Yeah, that one wasn't very good either. I and heard that it was, was good, actually. 
Was no, it? Nothing was It got pretty middling I reviews. It. I didn't play it. But it got a. Uh, that was kind of the final nail in the coffin of that variant of Tomb Raider. And then well, no, no, they no. rebooted Legend, it. it. Legend was um, kind of a reboot. It was like a soft reboot. They right. sort of yeah. ignored all the stuff that had come before well, and started to tell a new story that Underworld continued. But it was the same character. But yeah, Underworld, I remember, caught a lot of flack for not having a real ending. Like they released the ending as DLC. Mm. And that that was kind of the start of like, okay, you can, you guys cannot get away with this crap. Like, yeah, just in, in for DLC in general across the industry. I'm trying to think of the the PS2 Tomb Angel Raider, of Angel of Darkness. Was mm-hmm. that, I mean, was, was, was it, it was, was Lara Croft Angel of Darkness or was it, it was Tomb, Tomb Raider? Raider? Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so Angel of Darkness, um, it wasn't a jump the shark moment because the series was already in the air over the shark. <laughs> what that basically did was like, it was like a double jump. Okay. And it just made, you know, even higher over the shark. And then Tomb Raider Legend came along later, uh, like three years later, and was really good. That was a great game, yeah. And, yeah, Underworld just didn't really do anything different or new. I think that was the biggest problem. It was like a fine game, competent, but it needed to be something more because games had evolved. And by and if I recall, well, like the, sorry, Uncharted had come out the year before. And I think that's right. And Uncharted 2 came out the next year after that, I think, 2009. And after that, it was just like, yep, uh, Nathan Drake has officially taken over for Tomb Raider. Yeah, it just felt archaic. I mean, I know we're not all going to agree with this, but I feel like only with 2013's Tomb Raider has the series gained its reputation back as, like, a good video game. Like, I feel like... I don't well, know. They certainly want us to believe that. I don't. I, I don't really like the game, but I think that it now has its reputation back. You know, a, yeah. as a non like crappy annualized. I mean, you can disagree if, if it's a good game or not. I, I don't like it personally, but I think does people, it have its reputation back? I don't know. I think it does. I think it does to some degree. Yeah. I feel like it's people are telling me, or I feel like it's the publisher telling me, "Yep, we're back. We're a AAA game now." We're officially, like, we're in the good graces of everybody. Look how much everybody loves us. But I haven't heard anybody really say, I love Tomb Raider. This ask is ask the video game, game critics. Year. I personally don't trust video game critics, <laughs> but they all love it. Okay, I, I, I guess. say that facetiously, people. I am a video game critic, just in case you can't <laughs> take a joke. <laughs> So can we think of anything? I mean, like I have, I have a whole list yeah. of series. I just don't well, want sure. to name. I'm wondering, does does anyone have any fond recollections of Tony Hawk? Like, did did any of you play that? Series? I never got into no. it, but I, I'm wondering, like, uh, so I, I take it you're a fan, Michael. I was a fan. Yeah, uh, I was a fan up until American Wasteland, which coincidentally I found out while looking up series for this. That actually has a moment where you literally jump a shark oh. that is named Fonzie. <laughs> okay, uh, but for me, the, the jumping the shark happened in the first 15 minutes of that game where 
Uh, I think you, you get off a bus and like somebody shows you a, a trick and it's like some impossible thing where they like just go up a ramp and then like hang in midair and do like three spins while hovering and then come back down. Like, okay, this has gotten ridiculous now. <laughs> and then like you learned they added parkour to that game. And I think somebody at the design studio just thought like, well, parkour is French, right? Let's make the parkour instructor a French stereotype with a beret and a mustache. Was he, and, uh, did he have like a, a like a grocery bag with a baguette sticking out of it or something? That would have completed the image, yeah. or maybe maybe like a little neck neckerchief and uh, yeah, but yeah. no, it's just. A... As long as we're talking about sports games, Madden NFL 06 is generally regarded as a major shark jumping moment for that really? series because was that the one they almost didn't because release because of QB Vision? No, no, oh. uh, that was I think Madden 95 even maybe, okay where they completely changed the 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 studio. That was when Tiburon took over the series, if I recall correctly, or was it maybe 98? What other? It was the PlayStation. I think it was 98. Yeah, yeah. but 05 or 06 was kind of a funny one because. That was the year where they Penny Arcade coined the term bullshot because EA put out this big trailer. It's like, look at this game. Look how amazing it's going to look. And everyone's like, well, that's pre-rendered footage. And I have a number of friends who worked on that game, and they said, oh, yeah, by the time E3 came around, we hadn't even gotten the thing up and running. Like, we had a basic pre-rendered character that we put up there and said, this is maybe what the game's going to look like eventually. And that game was also kind of really infamous for having the QB vision cone in which what if is you had a really good quarterback, you could see the entirety of the field. But if you had a bad quarterback, <laughs> you could only see this tiny okay. little cone. Wait a minute. Oh, I just said a Metal Gear Solid NPC guard as my quarterback. So this is a football <laughs> exactly. game. Exactly. <laughs> you are more right than you know. But So this is a football game with Fog of War. Exactly, yes. That's weird. So that was maybe the most derided uh, new feature from a Madden game ever, and lo and behold, it was gone the very next year. So Madden, uh, Madden never really recovered that generation. It was pretty bad all the way through 13, and even now with Madden 15, a lot of people say, eh, especially me, eh, you know, it's not up to the level of an NBA 2K or a FIFA. It's just everybody likes to say, well, Visual Concepts did it right with NFL 2K5, Madden sucks, et cetera, et cetera. And Madden 06 was the beginning of that. Hmm. Sports. Sports. <laughs> if I can get really modern for a second. Oh, go for it. Assassin's Creed. Okay. Uh, for me, that it uh, peaked at the end of Brotherhood, which mm. was also coincidentally, I think, the last really inarguably good game in that series. I don't think so anyone the problem, are you gonna Are you going to cite the problem yeah. as the opening missions of Revelations? Um, the 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 cart chase. I wasn't even thinking about oh. that. No, for me, it's that. Uh, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't finished Brotherhood. Uh, Lucy Stillman, uh, Kristen Bell's character, gets stabbed, and it's this really like, what the hell just happened? Moment, like jaw dropping, and like and it just smashes to black. It's it's a huge cliffhanger, and it's a cliffhanger that was never really res- like you know. Of course, like. That was when people started complaining, like, oh, it's it's an annual franchise. Like, I don't care. I, I can only wait a year to find out what happens here. I'm really invested in this. And then Revelations came out, and they just kind of like, yeah, she died. Yeah, yeah. Kristen, Kristen Bell yeah, didn't really want to. She was a Templar spy. Yeah. She's too yeah. expensive. Yeah. So. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so that was, like, Revelations was a huge step down, I thought, from, from Brotherhood. And then 3 was bugged all to hell. And then... You know, four came out and was wonderful, and then we've got this year's two releases. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. 
So it's it's kind of been hit or miss since Brotherhood. I'm 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 there with you. Um, I mean, the the series started rough, but got better and then got worse. So mm-hmm. yeah, it yeah. definitely was bell curve. Um, I got something I want Jeremy to talk about. Okay, um, but first let me let okay. me also get kind of modern. I'm going to say Grand Theft Auto Four. Oh, I'm with was, you. I'm with you completely. Okay. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like the you know the the early games I wasn't super into, but GTA Three was a revelation, and Vice City was even better because. Not only were you doing more of the same stuff, but it was better structured and that soundtrack. And San Andreas was just enormous and it was like mm-hmm. an RPG. It was like, you know, modern day gangster life Morrowind. It was crazy. It was such a rich game. Um, and then 4, like, it took away everything that I liked. Yeah, there I was feel no, like, like the. Oh, go ahead. 4 was this monumental technical achievement <clears throat> that had almost no soul. Like, mm-hmm. they were trying to tell a very serious story. And there wasn't a lot of fun to it. Like, everything was super serious. Everything was drab. There were no planes. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is not... Okay, there are no spoilers here. But when you finish the game, it, that, that fact is hammered home even more because there's nothing to do. No one wants to talk to you or hang out with you. It's just like when you Sounds finish like the game... Sounds like a relief, though. It's after empty. all the people, yeah. like, calling oh, you every five yeah, minutes. That, oh, yeah, that, that was Nico, awful. it's your cousin. Yeah. Roman, but Roman Balak. In, ter- yeah. in terms of how it played, I know they were like... Go play pool with uh, little Jacob and he'll give you a discount if God. you get that meter high up enough. Yeah. Ugh, terrible. I hated that. And like actually playing the game was not fun because they were touting their new their new physics engine, whatever it was called. Like, What was it called? Like Rage or like... I think it was Rage. Rage, yeah. Or Euphoria or... Something. But like I, Grand Theft Auto never had realistic physics, but this time it felt like Nico was like just a just a, a ragdoll filled with ball bearings. Like you were just <laughs> steering around, especially when he was drunk. I mean, of course, when he was drunk, but just controlling yeah. him just felt not like it wasn't mm-hmm. fun. You don't know. Yeah, I mean the 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 thing that really drove it home for me, aside from all the other nuisances, was just the fact that the city was laid out so badly. Like there was no there was no initiative or no no incentive to explore and go off the beaten path. The um, like the the highway system, the arterial system that uh, connected the city. Like you always just took the same roads to get where you were going. Like that's mm. terrible world design. Like there, the the other Grand Theft Autos didn't have that. I think having that that freeway system really uh, undermined the game because it took you away from the sort of niche, you know, neighborhood sort of hidden destinations and you were always yeah. just driving around the main arteries. You're and not really discovering I didn't. Things. I didn't feel like a part of the city. I felt like I was just passing through and that was something that the previous Grand Theft Autos hadn't done. Crackdown managed to use a very similar highway system really effectively. Like it was great and easy to get around the city because of the highway system, mm-hmm. whereas GTA 4, it just felt like it was always railroading you to where you needed to go. Do you yeah. think that was because GTA 4 was just a very scripted game and they wanted to make sure they knew which route you were taking so they would know how much time there would be so they know how much dialogue they can squeeze in for missions I, and things like that? I don't like know. That. That's what it feels it like just, to me. It was just, um, it really missed the mark. Hmm. And yeah. I didn't enjoy the missions and I didn't enjoy being outside of missions because I couldn't just wander around without someone nagging me it, yeah, like it, it really sucked the fun out of the series. And I, I feel like there were a couple of positives that came out of that in the long run. I mean, I think with the DLC after you had Lost and Damned, which was somehow even more depressing, you <laughs> yeah, had yeah. Uh, Ballad of Gay Tony, which was like them shrugging and saying, okay, fine, you can have fun again. And I think their insistence on telling a very down-to-earth story kind of gave Saints Row its direction. Mm. And that it's like, okay, we can be the antithesis to that. We can be the really fun Grand Theft Auto game that everybody wants. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, it's like... 
the story is kind of irrelevant. You can pay attention to it if you want, but it, it, what is up front is the gameplay. Like, here are a ton of fun activities you can do in many mm-hmm. different ways at any time you want. You're not constrained to, like, you know, whose missions you're doing at any time. It's just, like, a weird, fun world, which is what Grand Theft Auto used to be about, I think, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before the Housers were like, we're going to make our own Godfather. <laughs> Essentially what they're doing, insane right? Insane genius. We love Scarface. It should have won an Oscar too. for yeah. Best Picture. To be fair, I, I love Bully. I want another Bully. We might get oh, another God, Bully, yes. hopefully. So I do want to ask Jeremy about uh, uh, Metroid. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Metroid Other M. Actually, I would say the Jump the Shark moment for Metroid was um, Metroid Prime 2. Um, really? For you personally or just do you think as the series? Think, yeah, like Metroid Prime was a perfect distillation of Super Metroid into a 3D first-person shooter space. Metroid Prime 2 got overly complicated, had all these weird mechanics, um, kind of badly designed bosses. It was just too fussy. It kind of reminds me of um, Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance where – there's like two parallel worlds that are integrated with each other. Yeah. And instead of making things more interesting or immersive, it just makes it seem more fractured and difficult to get around. Well, in Metroid Prime 2, if I remember correctly, there is a dark world and a light world, which are practically identical, except that when you're in the dark world, your health constantly yes. goes down, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to stand in little pools mm-hmm. of light. It's kind of like uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, where you uh, stand in you know the bubbles yeah. uh, underwater. Boop, boop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was incredibly confusing, and then you had the extra an- anxiety of always losing your health when right. you're in this world. So Yeah, and I feel like they, they never got their mojo back for, for the Prime series. Like, Prime 2 was okay. I, I liked... Prime 3 was okay, but it was just really kind of suffocating and contrived. True. I, I, I mean, I think people give Prime 3, uh, like, just... I don't know. People don't give it enough respect, but I think coming off of Prime 2, I enjoyed it a lot, um, having suffered through Prime 2. Yeah, I'm going to say there hasn't been a Metroid game that I've really loved since Zero Mission, which came out before Prime 2. Yeah. Everything since then has just been mm-hmm. kind of like, uh. But I mean, um, like, I know, for, is there a reason you didn't review Other M? I mean, we can all say that this is the definitive, like, n- there's no way there's no way they're going to recover. I thought, I thought Other M was a good game and terrible at being Metroid. Uh, I didn't review it just because I didn't review it. I mean, there was no like, I wasn't sure. Like, there I, I feel like you were the Metroid guy, so it, I just was like, why isn't Jeremy reviewing this? Uh, you know, sometimes it's good to mix things up. Yeah. Like everyone expects, oh, Jeremy's going to review Metroid. So I was happy to let Justin review it. And especially once I saw his review, I was like, oh, okay, well, that really sucks. So glad I didn't review it. I, I enjoyed it for a while. I wrote a blog to the, you know, to sort of defend the game mechanics, but uh, I couldn't be arsed to finish the game. The story was just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly totally. it was a story that turned me off. Yep. That and the stupid pixel hunt scenes. God, those were. Oh, dumb. yeah. I forgot about those. Like, uh, I literally stood there for five minutes trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. I was pointing at everything on the screen, and then somehow I found the right thing and moved along. Terrible. I did think it was strange that uh, Team Ninja apparently came out a while ago and and said, like, yeah, everybody's blaming us for the uh, anti-feminist take on Samus, but that all came from Nintendo. Yeah, uh, well, Yoshio Yoshi Sakamoto? Yeah he, yeah, he wrote the story for that. Yeah, it, it is strange how, like, people would point the finger at Team Ninja, but a lot of it is like, no, this is his vision for the series. This is what he wanted. Like, And I don't know if his hands were tied in any way or Nintendo was like, we need to make a mature, quote-unquote, game for the Wii, but, you know, it's, it's strange. You know, there are two games that I can think of from kind of the 16-bit era, maybe the 8-bit era, that really jumped the shark. One was Mortal Kombat. As specifically when Mortal Kombat got into the the kind of the N sixty four slash PlayStation era and started making Mortal Kombat adventures, yeah. starring like Sub Zero. I kind of stopped after three. Uh, yeah. yeah, 
But that Although Shaolin Monks was actually pretty good. I don't know if you ever played that. I never thought Mortal Kombat was that great, but yeah. it was definitely a huge game. I, and would, I would say it jumped the shark before that. I would say it jumped the shark with 3 where it added the run button and just introduced a ton of ridiculous Three was still recognizably characters. Mortal Kombat. And Ultimate true. Mortal Kombat 3 came out, and most people seemed to really like that. Um, but then they started making the the spin-offs for the N64, and then Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat 4 came out, yeah. and it was in 3D, and it was pretty I'm bad. I'm kind of yeah. on Michael's side where I feel like Mortal Kombat 3 was self-parody, where it's like there's 18 different ninja palette swaps, and then there's like babalities and animalities. Mortal Kombat was always self-parody. Uh, but it, they, it, brought it really, they brought it really far with 3, I think. Mm. Well, I think they were they kind planted of... planted the seeds in They two, were exhausting definitely. the oh, yeah. concept by 3, but... The Sub-Zero Adventures and all that stuff was uh, uh, was pretty much the shark jumping moment. And then it actually Mortal came Kombat back. mythology. Yeah. It actually yeah. sort of came back with Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance yeah. on the PS2 because they had an actual kind of good mm-hmm. 3D engine. Uh, that was, I think, the first reboot. It brought really it back saw. to not as bad. Mm-hmm. And then after, there were like three of those. And then finally they rebooted it for real, yeah. and now people like it again, I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, some people like it. The other one that jumps out at me is Contra, which did not transition to 3D well at all. No. And I think uh, it was the Contra Legacy of War yeah. for the Sega yep. Saturn. That was the one by Appaloosa, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. What, what did they make? People? They made uh, Echo the Dolphin. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. They were, they were Novotrade or whatever. Yeah. Didn't yeah. they also make uh, Colibri, the amazing hummingbird shooter? Colibri, and they made uh, Jaws Unleashed. Yes, they did. Yeah. I think that was their final game. That was <laughs> killed them. It's a good one to go out on. Yeah, I suppose. I think it's fair to say that that was pretty much a shark jumping moment for Contra, and it never really recovered after that. I mean, we got Contra 4, but it seems like Contra fans are up and down on that game. I think it's like the Silent Hill effect where it is not made by Japanese people, so automatically a certain contingent of the fan base won't like it, even if it is good. Ah, yes, Silent Hill, another game that maybe arguably jumped the Speaking of which, I think um, as much as I like the ideas behind it, uh, I I think Silent Hill 4 is the shark jumping moment. It would get much worse, but it was like a fundamentally unfun game. And Silent Hill games are not supposed to be like fun. Like, we I'm having fun in this horrible nightmare world that's about like sexual, like, like I don't know, psych- psychology and things like that. Well, they're meant to be compelling. What's four that? was they're originally meant to be compelling yeah. at least. Four was originally not a Silent Hill game, if I remember right. Yeah, I think it was just an independent idea called like the Room, or yeah. not, not the Tommy Wiseau Room, thank God, but mm. the Room. Um, <laughs> where the, and I'm sure Konami was like, we can make this sell with the Silent Hill name. So let's let's throw they, some. They shopped it as a Die Hard script first, and that didn't work. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the one thing that connects. Um, the room to Silent Hill is you read a newspaper article in Silent Hill 2 that mentions the name of a serial killer who doesn't come up again in the game. So they take that character from a note that you read and make him the central villain of Silent Hill 4, The Room. That is the one connection I'm pretty sure it is. And it's a fun game to watch someone play through. I watched a Let's Play of it, but watching that Let's Play of it, I was like, I will never play this. It looks so unfun because half of the game is fine. There are some weird things like the monster sound effects. It sounds like the monsters are farting at you in some parts. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's pretty harrowing. I guess so. I mean, I wouldn't want things farting at me mm-hmm. in a dark alley. Well, but you, uh, you had the, the subway hobo ghosts that would just follow you yes. constantly. Yeah. Can you talk more about the ghosts, Michael? I don't know if you remember, remember the central mechanic to them. I don't. I remember okay. they were impossible to kill. You, you just you have could to run kill away. them with like a limited supply of items. Oh, okay. And but if you wasted one of those items, you wouldn't know if you'd need it in another place. It's kind of like the uh, Zombies and Resident Evil remake for the GameCube, mm. but um, much worse. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the thing about that like game, the Crimson Head ones. That come yeah, back? yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the one. Okay. Um, but the thing about that game is. 
half the game, fine, it's okay. There's some cool ideas like the first person mode where you're exploring your haunted apartment and being scared by things is really cool. That's one of the coolest things about the game, I think. And I think it would later inspire things like Amnesia maybe. But um, the thing about the game is halfway through it becomes an escort mission where you play through the first half of the game again with an escort character. And nobody likes escort missions and it feels like an incredible incredible amount of padding. Like it feels cynically engineered to make the game longer. And that is why fundamentally it is a pretty crappy game. And like I said, it's fun to watch. I don't know. Does anyone have any Silent Hill opinions? I, have, I seem to have the strongest Silent Hill opinions. No, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of an outside observer on the series, but everything that I've seen and heard and learned uh, makes me say, yeah, Silent yeah. Hill 4. Yeah. It seems like people just... Like, everybody goes back to Silent Hill 2 as, like, kind of the high pit point of the series. Mm-hmm. It and is for sure, yeah. It started to decline after that. Three, was, three wasn't as good, but, I mean, it was still pretty fun. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, four. And I, I think it's it's produced a lot of real stinkers since then. Like, Konami's really let the brand be diluted with, uh, what was that Vita game that was basically oh, a oh, Book teenage of Book of Memories? Book of Memories. It was, yeah. it was a roguelike. It's, yeah. It's a, yeah, a teenage dungeon crawler for four players. And, like, this isn't Silent Hill at all. But then... Like, it, it produced things like Downpour, which I actually enjoyed Downpour. I heard that wasn't bad, but I heard, like, Homecoming was especially mm. terrible. I, I, I enjoyed, um, what's it called, uh, Shattered Memories for the Wii. I thought that mm. was a cool use of the oh, Wii. Oh, yeah, that was The fun. Wii remote. Uh, the chase scenes, I could take them or leave them, but I, I liked it as an... They made it into an adventure game, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was not a typical survival horror. It was and, not a combat yeah. game. Yeah, and the ending was a huge surprise for anyone. Who yes, uh, no, uh, we shouldn't spoil that. Because no, we shouldn't. I would say, I mean, God, this is not a game recommendation podcast, but uh, you could probably find that game for like eight bucks. If you have a, if you have mm-hmm. a Wii U, you can play it on your Wii or, U. Or a PS2. Oh, a PS2, or yeah. Or a PS3. I forgot it was on like yeah. all that stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, didn't it come to Vita also? It came to PSP. PSP. Yeah, so you yeah. could probably it, get it I heard it, it was Vita. really terrible on PSP, so. Probably, yeah. You want to play it with a Wiimote because there's all kinds of fun little Wiimote yeah. style Don't challenges. Don't you have to like waggle to run away from the monsters or something? I don't uh, think so. I forget okay. what that is. But, uh, I mean, like, a lot of the puzzles are, like, you're flipping switches by turning the Wii U, things oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not it's not the craziest thing, but no one ever used the Wii U controller that well. So I feel like if you look back, a lot of our favorite game series have jumped the shark at some moment. It's kind of actually the mm. rare game series that sort of hasn't. But I'm, like, thinking about, like, the common denominator about w- what is, what makes these games jump the shark. Why do they jump the shark? And it feels like... Most of it boils down to the original creator moves on, yep. i.e. like Suikoden. Um, mm. Or Mega Man. Or Mega Man. Mm-hmm. They are trying to transition to a new generation um, and say they're going from 2D to 3D, i.e. Contra and that sort of thing. Sonic. Mm. Or they just have a really terrible new idea or new direction for the series. Like or, Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, you can continue in one second, but I think another one is, like, they don't have any new ideas, mm-hmm. and they're just doing the same thing over and over again. But did you want to talk about Valkyria Chronicles? Mm-hmm. You should. It's so depressing because Valkyria Chronicles, the original, was really good, and then Valkyria Chronicles 2 was announced, and I was like, all right, this is going to be great. But Valkyria Chronicles 2 was announced for the PSP, and everybody's like, well, okay, it's going to be – I'm kind of skeptical of this. And then they said, and by the way, it's going to be set in a – the equivalent of an army high school. Yeah, yeah. And if you just look at the concept art, all you need to know about it, it's archetypes from Japanese high school anime comedy. And, you know, I kind of like the fact that they were experimenting with it a bit and playing around with, uh, like they were playing off the supporting cast. They introduced multiplayer. But the fact of the matter is the PSP was not a good platform for that series. No. It was one of the most... It was a beautiful game on the PS3. Beautiful. The maps were really big. It was a really detailed game. And frankly, the PSP just could not hold 
that series. It like the maps were itty bitty. Like that was the thing. And they were that, broken up too into different chunks. Yeah, they were broken up into different chunks. They were tiny. I felt claustrophobic, and they repeated the same tile sets over and over they again. They did, yeah. What bothered me about it was, okay, before you jump up my butt about this, I love anime. I love all things Japanese. Please shut up if you don't think I do. But it's rare to find with the first Valkyrie Chronicles, it's rare to find something with that much of an ingrained anime aesthetic carry so much dignity. There was no, like, wacky anime antics, no panty shots, none of the things that you might expect from that kind of content stereotypically. But then Valkyrie Chronicles 2, it was all that. It was all anime stereotypes, which is why it was so, like, disappointing for me. I mean, I mean, Valkyrie was, Chronicles 1 had a lot of anime stereotypes, too. It's but I think just, they, they had, like, a certain degree of dignity. Yeah, where, I mean, Valkyrie yeah. Chronicles 1 really had a Miyazaki thing going on. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it just looked like it, it was some lost Studio Ghibli anime that was turned into a combat game. I mean, the, the emphasis on the, the sort of faux European time and setting and... The, the love for beautifully rendered tanks and weapons and stuff like that, it's all very, very Miyazaki. And the characters kind of reflected that. And I feel like Valkyrie Chronicles 2 was much more of sort of like your typical, you know, Fuji TV, 10 o'clock, yeah. 10 p.m. anime that's 26 episodes long. The art was even much worse. Yeah. Hmm. When I first picked up uh, Valkyrie Chronicles and it was new, I remember being – almost immediately turned off by the anime aesthetic and the storytelling. Not not so much the aesthetic, but just the, like, these characters are introduced, and before I can get to any action, uh, I have to sit through a bunch of cutscenes about who they are and what they like to do, and, oh, Alicia works at a bakery, and Welkin is the son of this general, and this goes on and on and on. Well, then I get to play was... through a skirmish, and then there's a bunch more of that. Yeah. And then I'm reviewing it now on PC. Oh, and, cool. Uh, seeing it again, and like, well, I don't know why I thought that exactly. I, I was kind of just girding for the worst. And it's like, mm. no, I'm, I'm enjoying it this time. Mm. Yeah, Valkyria Chronicles 1 was great. And then they tried to turn it into a franchise, mm. which uh, ultimately kind of killed it. I mean, Sega came out, they merchandised the hell out of it. They turned it into a pretty bad anime. And they Oh, it was of, a bad anime. I forgot about that. Yes, they did. And it they were trying to make it a thing in Japan. And it fell flat on its face, and that's why we don't have any new Valkyria Chronicles, despite the fact that it has a pretty loyal cult audience over here. Sad. Mm. Well, the performance on Steam might change that. I hope so. I miss Valkyria Chronicles a lot. Well, and I I am kind of glad, though, that you you warned me away from 2, because I was thinking, like, oh, this is really good. Maybe I'll pick up 2 after this. Supposedly, 3 put things back on track, but that never came to the U.S. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about Metal Gear, but I want to I want to talk uninterrupted for one second. You guys can jump in as soon as uh, I'm done. Uh, so I think most people will identify Metal Gear's main sharp jumping moment as Metal Gear Solid 2: Sons of Liberty. I personally disagree with that. 
I will only say, like, I have to wonder what would happen if if Kojima made such an audacious move in the age of social media. If you think about what Mass Effect 3 happened, what happened with Mass Effect 3, Metal Gear Solid 2 was that times about a billion. Wouldn't you guys say so? Like, it fundamentally misled people with the game's premise. It's like, this is Solid Snake's next adventure, but the entire game was like, no, we fooled you. Like, yeah. the game was literally a trick. And for some people, I mean, like, okay, we're talking a lot about consumer rights lately in the wrong way. But uh, I think, like, uh, this will never happen again, but I loved it and I appreciate it. And at the time, I rolled with the punches, but I can understand why people didn't like it. I can understand why people thought, like, it's over for Metal Gear. It's over for Kojima at this point. Um, I don't know. How, how did you guys feel about this? I think the end game of that was incomprehensible. Like, that is true, too. Just, a lot of weird stuff happens. Uh, Snake taps his headband and says infinite ammo, which is like breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> uh, there's the bit where you're just dropped into an arena with a ton of Metal Gear rays, which have like been built up as Metal Gear killers, and you're just picking them off with a rocket launcher, which yeah. is sort of anticlimactic. And then like – the whole thing is a VR sim? I, I was never really clear on exactly what was happening at the end. Jeremy, can you, like, explain the symbolism? Like, Raiden is a gamer, Dear and you are God. Raiden. Or Raiden, okay. sorry, yeah. Well, I mean, no. The, the idea behind Metal Gear Solid 2 was really to say, okay, people love Solid Snake. They think he's awesome. Kojima was like, um, so let's, instead of trying to follow up on this amazing adventure, why don't we show what it's like to look at Snake from the outside? So he was this kind of enigma and, you know, the infinite ammo and all that. So you were put in the in the, the place of Raiden, you know, an inexperienced trooper who was experiencing basically Snake's adventures through virtual reality. So, yeah, you were kind of um, like meant to be – he was kind of meant to be the gamer, like yeah, a you literal in, surrogate for you the You put gamer. in your name at the beginning of the game and then at the end of the game he takes off his dog tag and it's whatever name you put right. in and a move ripped off of Earthbound. I yeah. said it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean there was, there was a, lot of, a lot going on in that and – the the game really predicted the rise of of uh, media control through the internet, social media, media that sort of thing. Um, I honestly think that most people, you know, including myself, didn't really appreciate the game at the time because we didn't understand what it was trying to say and how relevant its messages would be. And when I, honestly, when I played it, um, I was like, I don't know what the hell happened. So I wanted to replay it, and I tried to go back a few months later and re replay it, and I found that um, the sort of incidental dialogues and, like, you know, Peter Stillman and his sob stories about blowing up a church and stuff, like, uh, that, that stuff was just too stupid, and I couldn't get past that crap to the to the actual core of the game. I think, it, you know, the game misaimed and uh, misfired a lot in, in ways that are sort of incidental to the, the central thrust of the narrative. Um, there, there needed to be more editing and more just kind of refinement. Oh, for sure. I mean, he was a creator that had complete control at that point. It was right. like... I mean, I appreciated it, but I mean, he definitely sorry—he definitely needed to be reined in at that point. Yeah, I think I think all that stuff got in the way of the really interesting sort of metatextual narrative about Raiden and about information control and about you know um, trying to take control of the world by and filtering and controlling its information. Like that's really interesting and that's really relevant and really kind of forward thinking. But then you know, there's like all the stupid people in Dead Cell and what's going on with Fortune? Why can she deflect bullets sometimes but not other times and then she can again? Like it was just too much happening that didn't make sense and didn't really seem well thought out. 
So it, it, it expected the player to kind of suspend their disbelief a little too much. I think if, I think a tighter script would have done that game a lot of benefits. If like I'm viewing it in the context of that stuff just ex- existing in Metal Gear Solid 2, which I'm okay with. It's it's irritating in some respects, but I like it just for how weird it is. But the fact that they had to spend most of Metal Gear Solid 4 like explaining and working their way through everything that should have just been like that's in the past. That's what kind of irritated me about that game. And the the real the real sad part is that all they basically said was nano machines. Yeah. They they spent a lot of time saying nano machines. It was like the mid the midi chlorians of Metal Gear. I mean, <laughs> what, how do you guys feel about Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid Two? I, I feel like it should be stated like if you weren't around for this, like it, uh, the the press and the public were intentionally misled to believe this was a game starring Solid Snake and only Solid Snake, and um and the the the, the theme of the game is misinformation where like you don't know what's happening at any time. It like Michael said, it turns out to be like a VR simulation, <clears throat> things like that. Um, so, I mean, how did you guys react to it? I'm just curious if you were there, if you bought it. I mean, I can say that I worked at a GameStop at the time, and um, people were visibly and audibly angry with us for the most part. But, like, the game, we, I, I was there for the game's launch, and, like, the next day, we had, like, a billion trade-ins. Like, people were upset. They, like, blew through it in one night and were like, this is, gar- this is trash, I hate this series, I hate this character, I- I'm never playing Metal Gear again. Like, I, was, I witnessed the anger from fans. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I bought it when it came out, and I think I had it spoiled for me on the internet a little bit, and then somebody was like, you don't play as Solid Snake. Like, what what the hell are you talking about? No, I, I obviously play as Solid Snake. I played the demo, and then I got it, and, like, it switched to, to Raiden, and I just kind of thought, like, okay, well, this is this is just a gag. It'll switch back to Solid Snake after a while, and it never did, and that was a little bit disappointing. So, I mean, I, I never really warmed up to, to Raiden, but, like, I, I accepted that, like, okay, well, he's the protagonist. I'm playing as him. Fine. I didn't own a PlayStation 2 at the time, so I didn't <laughs> play Metal Gear Solid 2. Well, you're disqualified from this conversation, Ken. And I've actually yet to play it. Ah, uh, really? Okay. Yep. I, mean, I own the uh, the HD collection, but, you know, I'm extremely busy <clears throat> these days. But I have played Metal Gear Solid, the original, and Metal Gear Solid 3. So I'm, I feel like I've gotten a pretty good dose of the best Metal Gear Solid yeah, has you have, to offer. Yeah, yeah. I almost feel like I, I'm curious to play Metal Gear Solid 2, especially since Jeremy has – he's written some really excellent pieces on it. It's a shame that 1UP's gone because he wrote a really phenomenal look Alas. back on it. But my recollection at the time was I loved Metal Gear Solid and I considered it the best – game to come out on the original PlayStation. I was excited as anybody for Metal Gear Solid 2 and the PlayStation 2. And I mean, it, everybody was just going bonkers for it when they were showing it uh, in the, the original press demos, like Snake taking off the hood in the well, rain. Yeah. It and looked better than most PS2 games did for years. First person mm, yeah. view and he, you're like shooting the like the bottles of, of alcohol. and The cutscenes... Um they gave you the ability to zoom in and change the camera angle just to prove this is done in real time. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Like that was that was them showing off. It was it so it looked amazing and I was ex- as excited as anybody, but like I said I didn't have a PlayStation 2. I was in college and it came out and then it seemed like everybody stopped talking about it and it wasn't until years later that I found out, oh yeah, about the great switcheroo <laughs> through the internet and everybody seemed to hate it. Uh, I think this was around the time of Metal Gear Solid 3 where there was coming out and it was like, well, pff, Metal Gear Solid 3, Metal Gear Solid 2 was the worst. So yeah. I'm like, what? What happened to MGS2? <laughs> I feel like the the story of Metal Gear Solid 2, the premise, the concept behind it is really interesting. I feel like as a game, it's actually pretty lackluster, 
The the big shell is not an interesting environment. It's extremely repetitive. There's not a lot of varied mission objectives. A lot of the mission objectives feel just kind of stupid. Like and go find a guy with a pacemaker. There's so few. I mean, I know I said I know I said I like this game, but that there are legitimate complaints I have. Like there's like maybe three boss fights, and yeah, like one of the bosses like you don't a real fight. Dearth yeah. of content. I mean, compared to Metal Gear Solid Three, which is a game that just sprawls. It actually. You know, they, they showed the uh, the physical amount of space compared to the Metal Gear Solid Five map. Uh, they had like a, a chart showing all the, the actual land mass of each Metal Gear game at, at TGS compared to the, the massive space in Five. Right. And Metal Gear Solid 3 is not actually that big, but it felt big. It felt yeah. so huge. Metal Gear Solid 2 is the opposite. It feels so... It feels so small. It's all like indoor environments and like yeah yeah yeah. Like they tried to mix it up by letting you slip on bird poop and stuff. But <laughs> it just it, it just doesn't it, it didn't quite work. And like I said, there was a lot of superfluous crap in the story. Not enough game and too much incidental dialogue that didn't really drive anything and didn't really push things forward. I mean, I guess sure the Peter Stillman bomb thing that was about misinformation too because he lived this lie all these years, but. It was stupid. It was stupid. Like, I mean, it's okay to be clever and stupid at the same time. It's possible. And mm-hmm. That game really manages it. So it's disappointing on some levels. But honestly, I feel like Metal Gear has jumped the shark with Snake's Revenge. Snake's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty early on. I think you're being facetious. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay, that, that wasn't a Kojima game, but... Uh, not, not to linger on Metal Gear for too long. Not the inferior NES port of one? Come on. <laughs> Metal Gear is uh, funny because it seemed to jump the shark with two... Right the ship with three, and then jump the shark all over again with four. I, I so totally amazing. agree with you, Kat. I mean, a four, I I just, it, it pissed me off at every instance. Like, after playing three, which is one of my favorite games, I'm like, okay, he's back on track. He knows what he's doing. And then four was like, nope, he's, he's out three, of control again. Three is one of the best games ever made. Oh, I would agree. It's and in my top he goes like, five from of all time. One of the best games ever made to friggin' Metal Gear Solid 4. And I think I've seen people argue that Metal Gear Solid 4 is ego run amok. And I don't know if I can disagree. Well, who, who was it at Something Awful that did the. The article with like the pictures of weird stuff from MGS4 and like the monkey in the diaper and just said Metal Gear underneath. That, that might have been you? me. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> that was brilliant. Oh. If it wasn't me, I'm sorry, whoever wrote that. <laughs> Do we have more to say about Metal Gear Solid 4? I mean, like, I don't want to linger on Metal Gear for too long. It's just a very strange game. And really, like... I mean, Jeremy, you reviewed it. And I remember... I I reviewed it. And, you know, looking at it objectively, like I did for the the review, um, I gave it a good score. You gave it a B, didn't you? Maybe like a B plus. I remember Shane was, like, just blown away and shocked that you gave it that. I mean, I gave it a good score. Don't get me wrong, but... Like, in my heart, I was really kind of disappointed. But mm. at the same time, I was like, how much of that is, you know, my expectation versus what the game actually is? And I, I haven't gone back to revisit it, so... There's, like, a third of the game I like, but the parts that I don't the like, I really hate. really hate. good. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, then you get to Prague, and you're like, uh, okay. And then you get to the game just wanking over itself in... Uh, the Return to Shadow yeah, Moses. Yeah, Shadow Moses. Man, that's... Yeah. And, and then the whole... Uh, <laughs> 
when you're when you're on that when, <laughs> the Mount Rushmore thing. Oh my god! I nearly quit when when you're on this. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy's losing it. Oh god! I nearly I just remember that. I think it's we so have stupid. a winner. I think yeah. we have a winner for okay Mount Rushmore. Yeah, Mount Mount Rushmore with like the faces of the sun, uh, the the les enfants terribles. I think for me, and maybe maybe this has something to do with me not liking Valkyria Chronicles when it came out, but the the length of the cutscenes was absurd. And I mean, I like cutscenes. I like plot, but like. This 45-minute uh, unskippable dialogue scene where, like, I'm just piloting the Metal Gear Mark II around there. Uh, what was it? They, like, lived on a, a plane or something? Yeah, something like plane? that, yeah. Snakes on a plane. Yeah, God. yeah. Exactly. I, and I think by that point in time, we had grown out of the fascination with cutscenes that yeah. were that long. And, you know, mm. I think part of the uh, the idea behind the cutscenes was to make the loading look shorter. I see. Oh, but they, they, the they still had the ridiculous installs. Yeah, that's what I meant. Just watch Snake smoke a cigarette for 20 minutes. And, tell you, and they'll tell you why it's bad at the yeah. same time. You yeah. can't do this because you'll get cancer. He's already dying, so it's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. yeah, so many so many poor choices. Like, it just made me so sad. If, if it hadn't jumped there, then definitely the vagina bomb. Oh, God. <laughs> God. God. Uh, Are we talking you? about M- uh, Ground Zeroes? Ground Zeroes, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, oh, hope, yeah. I hope that's not a thing in any other game. I never want that to be in any other game. Yeah. I don't want it to be in Ground Zeroes. I want them to patch it out. Get it out of there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scoop it out of there. I'm sorry. So yeah. it seems... So are we are we still talking about Metal Gear Solid? We can still talk about Metal Gear. All right. I, it's like it just has so many moments where it jumped the shark. It's hard to, uh, to, to stop, I guess. Four especially, but I will say like Peace Walker righted it all for me. Mm-hmm. Did it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such was a it great good? game. It's so good. It's like... It's like and a, it was out of nowhere. Yeah, like, it, it feels like XCOM in that you are doing missions and also building a base. And the base building is so involved and, like, has so many systems and you're making equipment and you're, and you're like, unlocking and it has so many items. benefits. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not just like, oh, I'm doing this thing and it's idle, busy work. No, like, it has huge benefits for how you play the game. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite. It's, like, my second favorite Metal Gear game outside of um, Peace Walker. I mean, um, Snake Eater. Just when you think that he's finally lost it, he pulls you right. back in. Yeah. And you were really, you're actually really high in Phantom Pain, too. Me? Yeah, you're, like, excited for it. Yeah, I like, okay, this because is Because it brings back those elements. I mean, well, this you is know, Big Boss has a, has a cybernetic arm that uh, makes Bob's heart happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, going to Fulton he has, so he many has, sheep. He has a cybernetic arm for everything. Ba- based on the, the unplayable, hands-off uh, E3 demo I saw, it looks a lot like Metal Gear Solid 3, like, okay. in that... Except that just like do whatever you want any way so you want. So it's the opposite of Star Trek movies, where basically the odd numbered Metal Gear solids are the ones that you want to play. I think Metal Gear will always have us on like an emotional roller coaster yeah. of highs and lows. They will never be consistently good. So, so yeah, Metal Gear is a game that's a series that's up and down. Can we talk about one that's even more mixed? Like, it's, sure, it's more complicated. Castlevania. Okay, yes. Like, there's no single jumping the shark moment for Castlevania because it's always had brilliant games and it's always had crappy games. Like, at the very beginning, Castlevania was two games launched on NES and MSX at the same time. The NES game is amazing. It was so good. Poor for its Konami. Time. We've spent so much time on Konami at this point. <laughs> well, Jeez. they Silent need to get Hill, their shit yeah, together. They really do their games the really together. do jump the shark a lot, don't they? <laughs> they they need to get their act together. It's almost as if they so, saw so, one okay, was so okay, but saw two. Castlevania, <laughs> the NES game, great. MSX game, interesting, but not really fun or well put together. So right there at the very start, within a month of each other, you have good and bad Castlevania. And it's just been like that. When Castlevania did... 2, awesome. Castlevania, uh, Haunt, Haunted Castle for Arcade. Yeah, Simon's, when did that come Simon's out? Quest was awesome? Yeah. yeah. For its time. 
I mean, if, if you had some hints, it was great. Uh, <laughs> Castle, but but Haunted caveat. Castle was poop. Yeah, Castlevania Castle 3. Castle is unplayable. Yeah, it's garbage. Castlevania 3, amazing. Castlevania uh, The Adventure for Game Boy, crap. Mm. It's just back and forth for that series. And then, you know, you look at the um, the, the late 90s into the, the, the previous decade and you had like the, the series kind of split where there were these 3D games and they were all just increasingly worse. And then you had the 2D games on, on portable systems and those were usually pretty good. Actually, usually great. Sometimes just pretty good. Yeah. yeah Castlevania 64, the the big jump to 3D, which was... I mean, it did have skeletons riding motorcycles. The game was, that the, was cool. The That's game, another one I like. But that, that, that game wasn't complete. Did. They re- they released the actual finished version a year later as Legacy of Darkness. I was say, it's the game so nice they made it twice. <laughs> Konami was desperate to turn it into a AAA type 3D game, and they they They've did been it like for 15 at years. least twice with the PS2 and failed both times. And finally just said, screw it, and rebooted it with Lords of Shadow. So, I mean, it, Konami kind of, they killed the best thing about that series, unfortunately. Yeah, Lords of Shadow actually kind of completed the shark jumping. <laughs> yeah. Um, because because of, Lord of Lords of Shadow. So the first game, let's say that's good, okay? That's great. Um, but on the, the next games, both of them, the handheld 2D game and the, the HD console sequel, both sucked. So that's it for Castlevania. Well, Lords of Shadow also had one of the biggest shark jumping moments ever at the end, if if you don't mind spoiling it. Well, attention fans, there's a spoiler coming. <laughs> Please prepare for it. The main character turns out to be Dra- uh, ends up being Dracula, and they're in modern day New York. Yeah, with oh. uh, death. Well, I oh. guess I guess in the sense that like this is such a ridiculous, over the top thing. How are they going to top this? And then they really don't. Nope. Yeah, I mean, I I, I really like. Well, that they they top ending. it by making you do stealth sequences as a rat. <laughs> yeah, uh, those, those stealth bits were the worst. Like I I sort of liked that game, but yeah, like the stealth was execrable. But uh, what what I'm saying is that up until Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate, you could always count on there being like this alternate branch to Castlevania that was good, even if you hated what they were doing in one form of the series. At least there was the other form, but now they're both they're both just tainted, and I, I don't I don't have any expectations for that series going forward. It's really kind of sad. Yeah, unless there's some it's been massive... a mainstay for me. I mean, I, I talked in my in that ten minute episode about uh, how how desperately I search for the original Castlevania. <sighs> I'm hoping for a, a reboot that is more meaningful than Lords of Shadow, <laughs> but I, I doubt it will ever happen. So two more jumps to shark moments before we, like, move on. Bomberman Act Zero. Oh, jeez. Thank you. I find, like, I have to keep reminding myself that game is real. It feels like a Photoshop, Mm -hmm. like someone made, you know? Features more realistic graphics and a dark dystopian future setting. Yes. (laughs) I haven't seen any of those in video games. I'm glad Bomberman was finally brave enough to approach the concept. Oh, yeah. I mean, it feels like a parody of the darker and edge. It's something, like, The Onion would come up with for the Xbox 360 uh, was that a 360 game? It was a 360 okay. game. Uh, was that Hudson's last game or something? Like Maybe. Mm, I don't think it was their last game. It was I one think of they their... made real Bomberman games after that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But just this notion of taking Bomberman and making it a freaking dystopian it, game. It cats, like they Cat. ride around on colorful kangaroos. Mm. You're still picking on K- and Konami. You're still picking on Konami. What? Really? That's Hudson. 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 Oh, oh, wow. Konami. This Konami the, published that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. We, we well, really it, hate Konami then. Here's a game that was not from Konami that is a big jump, shark jump. Which one is that? Prince of Persia, Warrior Within. Yes. Yeah. 
Heavy Ubis- Metal. Ubisoft is the Konami of France. Before you continue, Cap, Prince of Persia has been rebooted like five times. The Sands of Time was beloved. Oh, yeah. But people yeah. were like, well, the combat wasn't that great. And then Warrior Within was... Well, some metal thongs would change that. <laughs> Actually, I think Michael just talked about this on his Tribal podcast. Haven't, didn't you just talk about uh, Warrior Within on... Uh... Uh, show, possibly. Okay. I think we might have talked about Intercools. Oh, that know. could be it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, um, yeah, Warrior Within. I think I think that series was sort of redeemed. They they tried to do the Forgotten Sands a few years later, which was an interquel between one and two, but like nobody cared by that point. Nobody yeah. wanted to see any more of that series. They uh, thought nobody like the Jake Gyllenhaal movie would uh, yeah. bring well, a newfound relevance. Well, Warrior Within kind of killed it because like yeah. Two Thrones after that. Like, people were like, eh, whatever. Yeah, well, Warrior Within, and then Two Thrones was like the original Sands of Time team coming back. Because uh, Ubisoft was doing this thing at the time where they were doing annual releases, mm. but they were staggering the studio. So, like, Ubisoft Montreal would work on it one year, and then, like, Shanghai would work on it the next, stuff like that. And that's that's what happened. So, like, they just lost creative control, and it was a disaster with fans. And then the third game was them basically trying to, like, correct it like okay we're, we're gonna try and retcon two out of existence uh using time manipulation and this <laughs> this is all about fixing what happened in two see that's the that's the definition of a shark jump where they're uh-huh. trying to retcon that game out of existence yeah, and just yeah. pretend it didn't happen but can't do it no nope. i mean it metal gear at least had the decency to just kind of gloss over uh portable ops they were like oh i'm so glad we're done with that crap at san hieronimo that's it. That's all they talk about. Yeah. That that just a pla- passing mention and no more mention of uh, what was his name, Null or whatever. Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Null, Null, Null was uh, Frank Yeager. Null's I, an important I, I, character. I can't even remember. I, I can't remember who who they talked about. But anyway, uh, it was uh, it was basically just them glossing over. He was it. the guy that became the ninja, right? Yes, I thought so. It was like it was yeah, like the ninja's um, background. I played that game. Yeah. yeah. question I kind of have is ultimately what is the biggest shark jump moment in a video game hmm. uh, this is not retronauts <laughs> it's not retro at all this is like 2012 retronauts uh, <laughs> but uh, this whole episode has been kind of like 2012 been, retronauts because I, I, a lot of games jumped the shark in the past few yeah, years. Yeah, I play, I play fast and loose with the rules in this show but uh, I will say Resident Evil 6 is probably in, in recent memory the you most the most preposterous like mess of a game I've ever played. Well, you can you can go back to what led up to it, which was uh, Chris Redfield punching the boulder. That yes, I mean there there was a logical series of events that led us to Resident Evil Six, but you say logical, but I don't think you mean it illogical hard. series of events. Yeah, but just okay. This I don't want to continue on with this for too long because it's not an old game at all. But I feel like it did not respect anything that that four did, which was the turning point for the series that made it relevant again. Instead, it was like, oh, what's what's Assassin's Creed doing? What's Call of Duty doing? What is everyone else doing? Let's not do our own thing. Yeah. And it was they just completely. Then the game is just like nine million people working on it, never talking to each other. 
the idea of four four different groups crossing over doesn't ever really pan out, except for when you all fight the same boss over and over and over again. You know what people want to kill zombies with? Wrestling moves. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. if you want to go to the strictest definition of jumping the shark, in Happy Days, mm-hmm. Fonzie jumps the shark because the show had been on for X number of years and it become increasingly irrelevant. Let me tell you how, how crazy Happy Days is. Mork and Mindy is a spinoff. There yes. was a goddamn alien on that show at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it it was becoming increasingly irrelevant, and they did that as a stunt. And after that, like people were like, it jumped the shark. So that kind of happened with Resident Evil 6, right? It had become increasingly irrelevant, and they just threw everything at the wall to see what would... So stick. the most telling thing that I can I can cite about Resident Evil 6 to show just kind of how desperate an attempt it was to, you know, matter again is that it is the only time I've ever played a Resident Evil demo and had the producers hovering around me and watching members of the American gaming press with eagle eyes to gauge our interest and our feelings and, and, and get feedback. And they so desperately wanted us to like it. I mean, it was very much them saying, why, why, do, why is this series not selling in America anymore? We've got to make it popular over there again. It's strange because- and It was just so, it was so pandering. Five, uh, this is not like, I've, I don't really know a lot about sales numbers in general, but I, I know five is like the best selling Resident Evil ever. Like five was an insane hit for them. Really? People were on board with what they, what they were doing. Five was a very adulterated version of four, but it was still fun. But six was nothing like that at all. And it was weird that they had no confidence when clearly people liked what they were doing. You know, I don't know. I have a, a couple friends who work at Capcom, and I don't know if they'd want me passing this on, so I won't mention them by name. But one of them said that uh, Resident Evil is like th- at a couple years ago was like their biggest selling title ever. Like you, it doesn't matter what it is, you put the Resident Evil title on something, it will sell, and it's because of those god awful movies. Oh, but like yeah. Resident Evil, the Mercenaries 3D sold through the roof, even though it was an awful game. That would not let you delete your save, right? Right. That was it. (laughs) Save gate. I would argue the biggest shark jump in gaming history was Fabula Nova Crystallis as a whole thing, Ah. which Uh, was insane. That was like like a seven-year slow-motion shark jump. It wasn't so much putting the cart before the horse as putting an entire fleet of carts and maybe some schooners and an airship. And the tiny little, a tiny little pony. Sort we of didn't like know waiting it. for a horse to be born. We <laughs> didn't know it, but it portended. Here you go, fool. This is your future. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know it at the time, but it portended the decline of the Japanese game industry in that generation of games. Because, I mean, Final Fantasy thirteen didn't happen for years. Nothing I, of I think real note I think you're ascribing out. a little too much importance to that. But, you think so? Yeah. Because in 2006, people were really hyped up for games and then just nothing happened out of Japan for years and years. I, I would say that by the time the HD generation hit, people were already starting to lose interest in Japanese games. I mean, that was it was something that I, as a fan of Japanese games in the press, was kind of annoyed about and... I found really discouraging, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it was... But in 2005, Microsoft was making a real effort to get Japanese exclusives and... Oh, that's because like, they thought they had a chance in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they like said, this is really important. We need to get Japanese games on our system. And now, like, they don't even care. Like years yeah. later, it's like where's it our Xbox matter. One Blue Dragon? I remember, Actually, I remember... I don't want that stuff. Yeah, Blue Dragon was like one of the biggest things in uh, 2005. It's like, well, we got... Uh, uh, the creator of Final Fantasy, 
who's making a new exclusive RPG for our system. He got the creator of Final Fantasy II to make a Dragon Quest game for yeah. us, basically. And then he made a Final Fantasy game for them, which like I've never played that one. I did play through Blue Dragon. I have no memories of it. <laughs> <laughs> you and most people. What? Fabula Nova Crystallis, I mean, for God's sake, Versus 13 still isn't out yet. It's now 15, Final Fantasy 15. I, I think that if Square Enix could go back in time and wipe that from history, they would. Yeah. So, uh, wow, that was that was a sad pause. Deafening silence. <laughs> um, I will say now that we're on topic of Square, can we? I mean, do you think Final Fantasy Thirteen as a whole is is the moment of the series that jumped the shark for you? Final Fantasy Two. Two. <laughs> wow. I mean, Final Fantasy Thirteen was, I mean, it was an anticlimax, yeah. right? Where it came out and it wasn't great, but everybody was kind of expecting it not to be great. Like, I don't feel like anybody had these huge expectations for 13 in 2010. Nobody expected it to single-handedly save the games industry. Like, the ship had already sailed. Like, Fabula Nova Crystallis was already a running joke by 2010. I think so, yeah. So 13 in general was just kind of like, all right, whatever. Uh, 13-2, whatever. And Lightning Returns, good game, but whatever. So for me, it was 11. Like, that was the point where, like, I was super excited. I hadn't really played many MMOs at the time. I was like, it's a Final Fantasy MMO. This is going to be so amazing. And then, like, get in, and it's so incredibly grindy. I think I played it for a month and only ever made it to, like, level three or four. Whoa. And, like, this this is just Man, they've really, joyless. They've they've really changed their philosophy with 14. 14 yeah. is, is pretty good, yeah. 14, oh, you're good. like, you know, you play for a couple of days and you're, you're ding level 15. Nice. I'm yeah. still unreasonably angry that they made it a numbered game in the series. <laughs> yeah. It really should How have been How dare Final you Fantasy mess online. it up? It's okay. It's okay. Now you can say there are Final Fantasy games you haven't finished. They did it I, to 11 and 14. I actually feel like if you want to talk about a game that should have been a side story, Metal Gear Solid 2 should have been a side story. Hmm. If they hadn't numbered that, people would be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, it's Raiden's game. You know, if it were like Metal Gear Revengeance Zero or something. Oh. Sure, yeah, okay, that's cool. It's Raiden's tale. We haven't played Metal Gear Solid 2 yet, the, the the missing story of Solid Snake's missions with philanthropy, but I'm sure that's going to be great. At the same time, I wanted them to make Peace Walker Metal Gear Solid 5 because it kind of is, you know? They yeah. just were like, oh, it's just a PSP game, so we can't, like, make it that important. But it is kind of the most, I don't know, the most ambitious in terms of game mechanics Metal Gear has been so far, in my opinion. Back to Metal Gear again. To everything else. What's that? I said it's since been brought to everything else. Yeah, that's true. It is now. It is now a, I guess, last gen game at this point. But yeah, you yeah. can play it. I recommend uh, it. And I remember to bring it back to Final Fantasy for a second. Final Fantasy twelve. I started playing that um, back when I was working with uh, Christian Nutt, and I remember just being incredibly dissatisfied early on. It's like I feel like all I'm doing is pushing one button to make my character attack on a timer. And he's like, oh, well, you should set it up so that the AI takes care of it and you don't even have to do that. Like, why do I want to play a game that I'm not going to play? <laughs> That's a good question. Is, is, is setting up a gambit less engaging than hitting attack over and over again in combat? I, I don't mean, know. I mean, I, I, feel like I never was, made it very far. I lost I feel like they, they said, okay, here's how people play the games. Let's take the emphasis off of that element, the repetitive, grindy nature of combat, and just let them explore and go out into the world. And I appreciated that. I thought it was great. Like, I, I don't want every game to play like that. I like, you know, different styles of, of RPGs. I like, you know, something like Entry and Odyssey where every combat action you take is super important because you could die at any time. Like, that's mm-hmm. interesting too. But 
But for Final Fantasy XII, it gave you this big world. It was like an MMO-sized world. And I don't want to have to get into constant random battles with that. So the Gambit system was a nice way to sort of take the load off of the distraction of combat and let that sort of happen, but let you kind of keep your mind on where you were going and what the quest was. And well, that, me, I mean, that, combat, was, that was great to me. Combat was only a distraction and like, oh, another random battle. Okay, here we go. But I like, I like feeling involved. I like making decisions. I like feeling that like I'm hitting X and driving home yeah. A, a, a sword, whatever. I'm kind of like halfway on Michael's side, halfway on Jeremy's side, because I did enjoy the game, but I felt like after a certain point, I felt like the illusion of control was more important than them just removing it entirely because like I still wanted to make decisions even if they weren't meaningful. Yeah, and I, I mean, know the gambits were, you know, they didn't involve decision making, but I felt like uh, I just wanted to be able to do more in that game, you know. I, I think I think part of it maybe was that I didn't necessarily play it safe with the game. And because it is just this kind of big open world, I was more than happy to go into places I wasn't supposed to go into. And at that point, like, it's really important to have your gambits in place and to really have a smart strategy for dealing with these enemies that outlevel you badly. Like, it gave you the freedom to just kind of wander wherever you want and put yourself in really, like, way over your head. And I, I fought bosses way out of sequence. And it was great that the game let you do that. And the the combat system... Like, it, it, I don't know, it was really satisfying when I could set up gambits that would let me survive despite being way too weak for the area that I was in. I would like to see another take on that style. You know, I don't know if Square will ever revisit it, though. I like Final Fantasy XII. I love the open world in that game, but I always felt that it felt a little too much like an MMO. And that was that was the idea. It was a big, messy game, especially the license board. I did not like the license board at all, um, and it tried to do a lot, and I appreciate that. And of course, it kind of fizzles out after the halfway point. And I appreciate its experiment, experimental nature, but I don't know that it always hangs together very well. Now, if we're talking about Final Fantasy Jumping the Shark, how about Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, where you go from a no, Game tactics. of Thrones. Tactics A2, much, but much worse. And I, and I actually Final like... Fantasy Tactics... Okay, I like Tactics Advance, I should say. But Final Fantasy Tactics, Game of Thrones-esque uh, realistic fantasy world, and then some character... And then Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, some kids are sucked into a book or <laughs> yeah, something. but I mean, it's, it's a, different, if it's, it's a different story for a different audience. It wasn't meant for... The, the same audience that played Tactics. It's like a Gumby strategy RPG. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really meant that for a, a younger audience. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, as, as kind of a, an introductory strategy RPG, it was actually really good. Um, better than good. Um, pretty complicated. But A2, actually, like the game mechanics in that are broken. Mm. Like that is a, jump, a shark jumping moment. Yeah. Like the story doesn't matter... And the game isn't fun to play. It's all about grinding for what, like drops. So yeah, you can random make drops. Yeah, it was like it was like you a weird. You can't yeah. advance your characters until you get just stupid random drops. Terrible. Such a bad game. So let's move on from Final Fantasy uh, as we wrap up here. I want to know, like, I'm sure we'll have our own answers for this, but how about The Legend of Zelda? <laughs> Where do we stand on this? Has it ever jumped the shark? I will explain my stance on things. Um, Skyward Sword, when I worked for 1UP, I wrote a big article about why I didn't like Skyward Sword. I thought uh, critics gave it too much praise for it not doing a lot of interesting things. And that got me the most hate ever for an article. I think I got like 700 even, comments. Even more than saying video games shouldn't treat women like jiggle meat? Um, they were probably about <laughs> tied. But uh, in the case of Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, it was like, I feel like they had Skyrim Envy and that they knew these this big RPG was coming out. So they're like, this is the biggest Zelda ever. But the thing is, 
it was big, but you weren't doing meaningful meaningful things. And the things they had you do were like Banjo Kazooie level, like fetch quests and like collecting the jiggies and things like that. And what made it even worse was there was this giant overworld, but all you were doing is flying to the next destination that they forced you to go to. There was there was no exploration. It was just like it might have well has been have been like a Mario game where it's like now you're on level one too because the the uh, the exploration of Zelda was just an illusion to guide you through this very very linear and way too long experience. I feel like Skyward Sword was kind of the culmination of a general malaise for Legend of Zelda. It's like by the end of Skyward Sword, I was like, Zelda, yeah, it's fine, I guess. And then I feel like a lot of people played A Link Between Worlds and were like, yes, yes, that, this that's... is why I love Zelda. This is great. They pulled Zelda out of the shark at that moment with the, the, the 3DS game. Did it game. jump the shark? Was Skyward Sword a jump the shark moment I or think, was just I think a, it like, been, a I think slow it was, decline? I think it was riding up the ramp and... <laughs> And A Link Between Worlds came along. It was a big old boat that just smashed into the shark. I mean, if so you want to talk now about... So now Skyward Sword just jumps. If you want to no talk shark. about jumping the shark, I mean, spirit tracks. I mean, the whole game, you're this on a again. train. This, this again. This <laughs> again. My God. <laughs> okay, uh, spirit tracks. I, okay, I'm going to piss cut off because I liked Phantom Hourglass. I liked revisiting that temple. I am like one of three people Phantom in the universe. Phantom Hourglass. Phantom Hourglass, if, like the whole point <laughs> is to understand the core dungeon and play it more efficiently every time. Like, to me, it's very similar in spirit to something like a roguelike. Yeah, that's why I liked it. Like, it it really, like, yeah, you can play it badly and have a miserable time every time you go to the dungeon, but if you play it smart and are, you know, like, really take the time to learn the mechanics there and the layout of the place, like, you breeze through the the places you've been through previously in in a matter of seconds. It's It's not just the misplaced stealth mechanics, which are misplaced, I'm sorry. It's the fact that the game is sterile. It does not have any flavor whatsoever. In trying to replicate Wind Waker on the DS, I don't know. They somehow left something on the drawing floor. That I will agree with you on. They they did not add many new ideas. The soundtrack was terrible. And the dungeons, like, not a single one stands out to me. They were so boring. They were poorly laid out. The, the, The puzzles were not very good. It was a struggle to get through that game. And Spirit Tracks, you know what? I, like, make fun of it because, frankly, the idea of being, like, on a train and all that stuff, it's stupid. Okay, yeah, I admit that. But the dungeons in that game were way, way better. It had cool dungeons. I will will tell you uh, why I did not like that game, though. At a certain point in the game, you have to blow into this dumbass pan flute like you're freaking Zomphir or something in order to move on to the next part. And I got to a point where I couldn't pass it. Like, this is a game ostensibly designed for, like, kids, right? I guess. Or, like, all ages. But... This this tiny basic mini game, I couldn't pass it. I couldn't like blow into the flute the right way in order to move on. So I had to send it back to GameFly. I just was like, <sighs> I was doing the guide for Spirit Tracks, and I was riding into One Up on the bus, and I had the game with me, and I was on the final boss. And what you have to do is you have to like hurt them enough and like stun them, and then you have to play the song on the flute. But <sighs> the microphone was picking up noise from the bus. So I couldn't actually beat that segment until I got into a really quiet area. And then I could blow into the damn thing to make it work. So that tells you all you need to know about the pan flute. I hate that pan flute. It was so (laughs) over-engineered. It wasn't even funny. God. And like, and okay, I'll let my, Michael needs to say something because I feel like we've been, we've been talking too much, but like in Skyward Sword, the one thing I hated the most was like the instrument part of it. Like in, in like previous games, you could use your instrument to change time, do make weather effects happen, change the world in some way. In Skyward Sword, all you did was wave the Wiimote back and forth to open a door like every 
30 hours, and that was basically it. I, well, Skyward Sword's problem was that it was a game built around the notion of having the one-to-one sword controls that everybody had always wanted. And once they got that perfected, they were like, uh, and we'll put in some other stuff as well. It's yeah. like the dungeons were great, but as you said, the exploration was extremely yeah. wanting. It's funny it took most of the Wii's life cycle for them to deliver the one thing we all assumed would happen in immediately. Michael, please, Zelda. Uh, well, I will agree Skyward Sword is the one Zelda that I have to force myself to play. Oh, I don't think I've, it's worth it. I haven't don't. made it more it, than a few hours in. I, every time I go back, it's like, okay, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna do it this time. And I'm like, playing like, yeah, I'm kind of enjoying this. And then I stop. And then I just never feel any desire to go back. Don't go back. That's but how I feel about Ocarina of Time. Really? Me too, actually. I only feel that way because I played it so many times. But you know what? Like, Twilight I Princess, not as bad as everybody says. Yeah, I don't think Ocarina holds bad. up as well as everybody thinks it does. I agree. But uh, it was great for its time. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying Ocarina didn't click for me at the time, but I don't think it's a bad game. No. I think it just didn't quite hit what I wanted. Is it but the I best will... game ever made, as no. some people are suggesting? Um I will I will say though that I've never played a bad Zelda game and I've never played a mm. Zelda game that I didn't enjoy. Even even Ocarina, which I kind of lost interest in, um, I still like it. Like I, I don't even consider myself a particular like Zelda fanboy or anything. Uh, I, I sort of lost interest in the series as a you know a faithful follower with with Ocarina of Time. Hmm. Like before that, I was really really into it and then kind of you know didn't really play that much of Majora's Mask. Haven't finished Skyward Sword, but. Like, every time I play a Zelda game, I really enjoy it. Mm. And I feel like I should be a super huge fan of this, and I, I'm not. But, like, at the same time, I don't feel like the series has ever lost its way. And maybe it's had a few small missteps, but nothing nothing critical, nothing to the point where I'm like, oh, this is over. Forget I feel that this. if you play more Skyward Sword, you'll change your mind. But thankfully, yeah. A Link Between Worlds is out, so Zelda's fine now. I think Adam Zelda's going to be okay. Was a misstep. Yeah. It was. I disagree, Cat, but I hate Spirit Tracks, so we're kind of, we're, we're kind of like the, the I, DS Zelda's nerd. I like them both. Yeah. I gave them both good scores How? because they're good. Hmm. I will throw out, has anybody played the Way of the Samurai games? No, they seem really interesting. Yeah, they, I've always they meant were to. really interesting. Like, they're the, kind of these short things that are like choose-your-own-adventure mm-hmm. games where mm-hmm. like you can have a radically different storyline every time you play, uh, although they're like you know four or five different ones. And uh, like the first two were kind of – you know, semi-serious, semi-anime. Like, we're, we're historically accurate, but we have uh, this guy named uh, Dona Dona who's got a gigantic afro, and that's just part of the, the game world. And then three, like, went almost super serious. It was it had a felt like a, uh, a Toshiro Mifune movie. And then four, which only came out for download on PlayStation 3, was absolutely insane. Hmm. Like, I don't know if you've, you guys have seen anything about this. I have this, that game on my PS3, but I never have played it it's yet. It's bizarre. <laughs> I was like, first off, it garbles the history angle to the point where, like, oh, the British have landed in the black ships, and their ambassador is a 12-year-old girl who just wants to heal everyone. Wow. And <laughs> she she has big Goldilocks curls, of course, because all Western girls Is her do. name Halsey? Huh? Is her name Halsey? I don't know. It might be. It's been a while since name? Or Admiral, Admiral... Commodore Perry? Commodore, yeah. Why, yeah. Am, I, why am I thinking mm. Admiral Halsey? I don't know. It's yeah. like from some space game or something. Like Gundam? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then, like, th- they added, like, a, a night-creeping minigame where you could, like, make a date with some girl and then you'd have to creep into her house at night wow. and avoid oh. her family. And then, like, you'd have this weird wrestling match with her, like <laughs> an actual pro wrestling match but with barnyard sounds. And if you got caught... 
trying to to creep in on her, then you'd be subjected to this like weird sexual torture thing where like a, a mini game where you're like wow. you're you're being what? lowered slowly onto like a some sort of sawhorse thing. Oh, one of those wedges? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? It's it's bizarre. Like it makes no sense as a samurai game. I have to see this now. I yeah, mean, I, it's on my do. PS3. I need to see this it's, now that you It's definitely you. worth God. worth looking at. It's strange. So you're saying that was the jump the shark moment? That was the jump the shark for that entire series. Like oh. we we've just completely gone off the rails. Uh, the tone is uh, it's a huge tonal shift. And yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not bad, but really weird. I think when your samurai game adds a dating sim with stealth mechanics, yeah. uh, it, that's a sign that things are going wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up like in a minute or two. Can we think of anything else? I think we've, I mean, if you know, if you can think of anything we missed, let us know in the comments or just tweeted us or whatever. Cause I'm, I'm sure we missed a few, but anything else we can think of? I don't know. Like SimCity. SimCity. God, that was such a shark. SimCity. God, what was the last Sim one? SimCity, the just most Sim recent City. one where they made it, put it all online yeah. and couldn't even get it running for a long time and then completely messed up the mechanics and everybody generally hated it. SimCity. Yeah. SimCity. Yeah. I think SimCity might be one of the biggest ever. I was high on that game during previews, but I didn't play enough more than a few hours of it. And then, like, when I went back to it, I was like, I'll, I was just, like, doing nothing one day. I was like, I'll try to, uh, you know, play it. And then it was, like, it required, like, literally three hours worth of updates That was a game where the very premise was so fundamentally misguided that it probably was never going to work. Hmm. Are we missing anything else? Uh, Street Fighter cross Tekken, maybe adding the the gems. Oh, the gem system. Yeah. We were just talking. There was never a Tekken cross Street Fighter. They never followed through with that. No. Yeah. No. I mean, I would argue that Kingdom Hearts Two was a pretty big shark jump. For me personally, I mean, I didn't. I didn't want to say it because I've 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 delivered this rant like a billion times. I have but no problem saying it. I think yeah. Kingdom Hearts Two was. A, I think Kingdom Hearts as a series was a pretty big shark jump for Square Enix as a as a as a publisher. Hmm. As a but developer, the kids love it. Those kids love it. Oh yeah, no, it sells millions. Those it's probably, crazy kids. It's probably its most important franchise at this point. But I feel like there is a clear dividing line between the Square that we knew and love, and the Square that they are today and that game was Kingdom Hearts hmm. how about uh, World of Mana oh you mean World of Mana being the it was like the Fabula PS2 Nova Crystallis of no no no, no. Oh. Was it, wasn't that what it's called the, or Dawn of Mana I thought, I thought World of Mana no, no, was no, like Dawn, the collection Dawn, of games Dawn of Mana wasn't there like a name for the collection of games that came yeah, out that like was Children of Mana uh, Dawn of Mana and there was, was a World third of Mana, one yeah. uh, Heroes of Mana Heroes of Mana yeah yeah, Dawn of Mana was the one I'm thinking of. The Which PS2 one was game. Heroes? It was the crappy RTS. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was that was whatever, kind yeah. of mediocre. But Dawn of Mana was actually a, a an anti fun game. Like it had that weird grappling physics element to it. Yeah, and ugh, it looked so nice too. I remember playing it at TGS when they first showed it, and I was like. Wow, I'm seeing like all the elemental spirits in this gorgeous 3D. And then I actually had a chance to play it when it finally came out and was just stunned at how crapular it was. I will Sorry, tell what's you. What's the title again? Oh, Dawn of 
mana. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, I wanted you to say it faster. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I actually thought you were having trouble understanding my. Yeah. Home no, no, no. Uh, I will say there is an absolutely amazing Fortis soundtrack, completely wasted on that game. Like a beautiful soundtrack. It's like it's like my writing music. Fifty percent of the time, I always put it on. So it, it's like the one good thing about that game. I'm sure it looks good too. But when I think of studios jumping the shark, um, I think of LucasArts. And I was trying to think of a moment. I was moment. wondering when you were going to mention them. I was trying to think of a specific moment when they jumped the shark. And it may have been Yoda when they were stories. making... It may have been when they started making Star Wars games. Just because that was when they moved away from their greatest era, which was in the 80s. Didn't they start making Star Wars games like in the early 90s? Yeah, yeah. Well, they had some amazing Star yeah. Wars games. Rebel Assault. But in retrospect... That was the beginning of their slow, slow, slow decline. Mm-hmm. And then by 1999, when they made like started making games like Star Wars Starfighter, Star Wars Pod Racer, Star Wars Yoda Stories, mm-hmm. that was kind of like the shark jumping moment for that entire studio. Well, you had that culminating weird... in Star Wars Force Unleashed. Yeah. You had that weird stretch from like the late 80s to the early to like the mid 90s where nobody really cared about Star Wars like there was mm. no new media it was like yeah that's, oh, yeah. that's like Transformers or something that's I'm something we enjoyed as, from childhood I'm speaking as somebody who loved a lot of those Star Wars games and right. consider some of them my favorite games ever mm-hmm. but there's no denying that eventually LucasArts just became a Star Wars licensed game studio oh, and a lot of them were pretty bad I could say Shadows of the Empire might have been the big shark jumping oh, moment for no. LucasArts Rebel Assault Rebel Assault 2 You think so? Yeah Those yeah. games sucked hmm. They really did They were, they were just a Refresh my memory ass. They were like full motion video games that you, yes. with like a cursor but, on top yeah, of They were making right, yeah. Rebel Assault 2 but that they were also making Jedi Knight which was an amazing FPS Shadow of the Empire after Shadow of the Empire it's it kind of all downhill you know Mm, what about Jedi Knight 2? What about Jedi Academy? Jedi or Jedi 2 was 3, made sorry. by Raven. I mean, yeah. so. Um, I will say their adventure games were good until 1998. So they at least had that going for them. It's what true. happened in 1998? That was Grim Fandango. Maybe the final nail in the coffin. I'm not a fan of Monkey Island that came after that. The final nail in the coffin might have been when they were having the, the Apprentice from Force Unleashed dragging down the Star Destroyer. And then they tried to put that in the actual game. And it was like, oh, God, this is such a bad quick time event (laughs) (laughs) um actually i'd say the the moment like they made a lot of really good star wars games but then there was bombad racing actually masters of tarascacy that's that's oh my gosh the the fighting game yeah yeah Yeah. god terrible remember that that martial art made it into uh star wars galaxies or you could you could practice to become a tarascacy master Star Wars Galaxies. Oh, yeah, man. that's a whole other can of worms, that's isn't a, it? That's just a lot of Wait, unfulfilled promises. Galaxies is the first MMOs. MMO. Yes. The second MMO is still happening, right? The Old Republic. Okay, yeah. I, I, I don't even know anymore. No one talks about it. Did Bioware jump the shark when they tried to make Star Wars the Old Republic? Um, no, I'd say... Um, or was it Jade Empire? Or Dragon no. Age 2. <laughs> I was going to say uh, Sonic Chronicles. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, that is... Listen, we have a winner, Sonic Chronicles. That game is so overrated. And I'm sorry. God. I'm sorry. You're allowed to like it, but I just think it's an overrated game. That is as big a jar- sh- jump the shark thing I, as I can ever think of for a studio. Like I, I like wiped it from my memory. That's we have a winner. I think we can end the podcast. Wasn't it called now. Sonic Chronicles: The Dark Brotherhood? Yes. yes. It was. Oh, 
Because Bioware I think it was supposed to be Sonic RPG. It was going to be the first installment of a new franchise, and so I think it ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, well, we dodged a bullet and a shark. <laughs> <laughs> that, a shark bullet. A shark bullet. And with it. that, we have come full circle. Yes, yes. So thank you so much, Michael, for joining us, and Cat oh, as pleasure. well. Jeremy, you're stuck here no matter what. So <laughs> I'm not going to thank you. You're stuck here. Retronauts has officially jumped the shark. Yeah. When did Retronauts jump the shark? Let us know. I bet it'll be. You, I bet it's all probably of you, the Sonic episode. <laughs> no, people are like, it's when Bob Mackie took over. I don't like him. Mm. <laughs> this is when Jeremy Perry started hosting. Wow. So with the first episode, then. Yeah. So please, actually, please don't let us know that. My ego is fragile. If, in case you couldn't tell from my Twitter account, so you can you can you can tell us if it was something that involved me. Aw, don't do that. So let's. <laughs> I, wrap... I need a reason to hate myself. Aw, come on, Jeremy. Let's wrap up the show. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitch, and YouTube as Retronauts. Just find us, subscribe to us. You'll be happy. You'll know what we're doing at all times. And uh, we have so much content outside of the podcast. We do streams. There's things on our YouTube. We will talk to you on Twitter. We'll be your friends for money. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pay me. I'll totally follow you on yeah. Twitter. Remember that, hey, you know what? Penny Arcade, that was one of their tiers uh, on their Kickstarter. We'll if you give them you money, they'll, they'll follow you on Twitter. <laughs> and, they'll, and then they'll tweet at you once. That, I'm, I'm completely serious. This happened. Oh, wow. yes. Yeah, oh, I'm doing that for free. I'm a jackass. Yeah, yeah. Come on. It's part of their business plan. So remember, we're also part of US Gamer now that we're slandering the competition. It's important that I bring that up. <laughs> it's pretty arcade, our competition. Uh, not anymore. They don't do games journalism anymore. So we're fine. Uh, also, please keep the reviews coming, uh, you know, on iTunes Music Store. They always help. If you can't uh, even have time for a review, just give us a uh, whatever star rating. I recommend five because five is a great number. Um, I just like it. You Some know? would say it's the I only thought, number. I thought three was the magic number. No, don't listen to those uh, those liberals over at Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> They'll steer you wrong. <laughs> so also, I'd like you guys to know that uh, we are funded by Patreon this this year for the season, and we love all of you who have given. If you haven't given, please consider giving to us. Even a dollar a month will help greatly. And if you can't give, just spread the word about the show. We want more people to listen to us. We like doing this. We want to keep doing it. So if you have... Any way you can give to us, go to patreon.com slash retronauts, and we would definitely appreciate it. And there's all kinds of little rewards you can get if you donate, like stickers, T-shirts, posters, etc. Please check out the site. We'd appreciate it. So so contact info. I am Bob Servo on Twitter. You can also follow me on uh, US Gamer. I write for them. I'm senior editor over there, and I write for Something Awful every other week. Check that out, too. Michael, where are you these days? Uh, you can find my weekly video game podcast at vidjagameapocalypse.com. That's V-I-D-J-A Game Apocalypse. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter at Wikiparas, P-A-R-A-Z, or VG Apocalypse. Uh, I'm also occasionally writing stuff for IGN, so be sure to check there. I've got a Valkyria Chronicles PC review coming up, so keep an eye out for it. Cut. Yes, I mostly write for US Gamer with Jeremy, where I crank out lots and lots of Pokemon articles and occasionally Super Robot Tyson articles, so keep an eye out for that. I also contribute to the Press Row podcast, so if you enjoyed listening to me talk about Madden 06 and how horrible it was, well, there's a lot more cut where that came from. Just check out Operation Sports. I am on there fairly regularly, so you can listen to me talk about sports games. Yeah. And Jeremy. And you can find me on the Google. <laughs> There's, there's got to be more Parrish. than one Jeremy Parrish, though. One R in Parrish. There's more than one Bob Mackie, and it pisses me off. There's this asshole in okay, Florida so, who sells real estate. So there's more than one Jeremy Parrish, but <laughs> I feel bad for one. those guys because they are rank, They have way less SEO than I do. Uh, I have SEO clout. There's, I'm, there's I'm really some... sorry, other Jeremy Parrishes of the world. Uh, I'm on Twitter as GameSpite. GameSpite.net is the blog I have. My main task in life is to keep USGamer.net running and then some other stuff. 
Cool, and I also want to thank Scott Schrader again for winning the contest and being a great fan. And as far as us, we'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Take it easy, guys. Bye.